We, <laughs> it's the same approach as we just have opinions about things and are fine sharing them <laughs> with little to no expertise. <laughs> yes, that is a very dangerous thing to do. <laughs> I feel personally attacked, Robert. <laughs> no, that's just how we, that's, that's our normal MO, all of us. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. We're all indicted. Uh, I just went from like total chiller to a little bit depressed after sending that email. Yeah. What are you going to do? All right. We should move on. Let's do it. Okay. Lie number nine. Last lie of the book. Nine lies about work. Number Pretty nine. excited about this one. I'm actually excited to be done with this book. It was good. It's been fun. We've got one one more conversation to go, but I think I'm ready to put this behind us and embrace a yeah. new series. So I'm yeah, excited. We've been having some good conversations about what's next. So I'm excited too. I think we probably do. It does deserve a wrap up episode where we maybe yeah. talk about some takeaways and things like that. But hmm. we can talk about that later. Let's definitely dive in though to lie number nine, Charles, which you don't have any context in still. Yep. And Igor, you're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you were saying this was one of the chapters that stuck with you the most and the longest after your initial reading, the lie eight and lie nine, right? It did because it challenged some of my biases that I, yeah. that I had. They made a good argument here. So mm-hmm. the lie is leadership is a thing. And what they don't mean is leadership is a, a quality or an interpretation of other people that there's no such thing as great leaders in the past. What they're saying is it's just like the other arguments made previously, leadership is not a collection of uniform behaviors that we can mold or assess people against. As much as we try to do that, it's you can't really get there. And so they talked about a lot of leaders in the past who are generally regarded as exceptional leaders. Warren Buffett is one of them, but he's not super charismatic like Steve Jobs. Like Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs are two totally different leaders, yet they're in the same sort of ecosystem as world-class leaders. What is it about them that makes them be considered great leaders? And it's usually their spikiness is what they say. So we don't follow this core set of leadership behaviors. We follow other people's spikes. That's the truth. And they're very practical about the definition of leadership, which is leaders have followers. And without the followers, like the leader's actions are pretty meaningless, actually. And so what your followers do as a leader really matters and validates or justifies your position as a leader. Just a quick comment. I like the simplification of what is a leader, but then it immediately begs the question for me, what is a follower? Anyway, it's just a random thought. That Especially because the leaders that they talk about in the book had very strong, uh, almost extreme, not in a bad way, but like vigorous, like raving fans, basically. Mm. If you're a leader in an organization, you may not have that. You have role power. Yeah. And so how does that, how do you wield that? How do you navigate that as someone in a leadership position that turns you into a world-class leader? And it can't just be because you have role power over someone or you're higher on the org chart than someone. That doesn't count. We could call that like a manager, Mm. right? There's some behavioral aspect of leadership that is important to to drill in on. And they're saying that really can't be defined with any degree of precision. It's your spike, the thing that makes you unique, the thing that you put on your highlight reel. That's the thing that attracts people to you for their niche kind of time and area in life and then uh, causes them to want to follow you. Igor, did I get that right? I think you got it exactly right, Robert. So when I originally read this, we're going just like we are now through, I think, some reviews And one of the things that kept coming up was this idea of, and it still comes up today, I think, executive presence. 
And we'll talk about that as a quality for somebody to progress to leadership positions and so on. And I think when I read this chapter, I was like, is that a thing? Does does somebody need what we call executive presence to be a really effective, high-performing leader? Maybe not. And that, that's an example. And there's others that sort of came to mind as well. And that's what I mean by it really made me question my underlying assumptions and biases to what like leadership might mean. And I, I just like their challenge of a, a set of characteristics that as long as you check the boxes, presto, change, oh, you're a leader. Yeah, or our uh, incessant need to, as soon as we put someone in a leadership position, surround them with feedback around how to round out their weaknesses and growth areas instead of doubling down on strengths. And there's a balance there, right? You can't just say, because Charles is a really great problem solver and he can connect the dots together, we don't care how he treats his team or we don't care how good of a public speaker he is or we don't care how detailed he is in contracts or whatever other element of his job is a necessity. There's a balance, right? But we do talk about, we have said it is much more Accretive to a career, the default mode should be doubling down on strengths, focusing on those spikes, and then leveling up the low watermarks, the soft spots, whatever you want to call them, when they become so unbearable that it's holding you back. How does that sit with you, Charles? I think it sits okay. I'm curious as to what, when they say leadership is a thing, right? Is it just pointing to, hey, leaders are born, not made sort of thing? Is that what they mean by leadership is a thing? Uh, I think it's more... I don't think there's an argument that there are people who are wired, naturally predisposed to exhibit behaviors that normal in normal situations are viewed as leadership behaviors. So if you're extroverted, that's probably something that will reduce a little bit of friction if you're in a position of leadership. If you like talking in front of a group of people, if you like setting vision if you like the attention and responsibility, if you thrive on that, which we talked about in prior casts as well, like there are some things where you can, if you're pre-wired for that, it might make it easier, but that doesn't restrict anybody from succeeding in a leadership position. And so what I think the book says, though, they don't really contemplate, are you born with this or not? I think they're, we're all pretty much in agreement that there's no such thing as a born leader. It's really they're fighting against this collection of characteristics and personal traits that were that we cobble together by taking individual characteristics from individual leaders and compiling them into an archetype and then judging people against that. So Warren Buffett is really good at analyzing businesses and and generating great monetary returns. Charlie Munger is a great systems thinker. Steve Jobs it has several spikes, right? One of which is public speaking and showmanship. The other is this incessant need to create quality products, right? You can start to point out any great leader in history you can look at and say, hey, this is their spike. This is what they're really good at. And there's also a laundry list of things they're terrible at. And part of what we've said before is you have to build a team around you that covers off on those weaknesses, right? It's not really feasible to try to cover them all yourself. We don't have enough time. And so... I think it's that line of thinking, which is the characteristics that we cobble together and then to try to define that as leadership. Yeah. So they define, they would say all leaders have spikes. Is that fair? Yeah. People don't follow leaders. They follow spikes. And, and But not all people with spikes are leaders. Is that also accurate? Yeah, probably. I, I don't think they really get into that. 
Because that, that's the curious part is, and maybe this just goes back to the, hey, you have to have a baseline maturity across a variety of different dimensions. Otherwise, it's a non-starter for you as a leader because people won't follow you. But okay. I mean, generally, yeah, I can, I think I understand what they're saying and I don't have any issue with it. Do, do they go into any detail around some of these characteristics and things like that? Yeah, some. Let me point pull on that a little bit. If you have a spike, it's probably enough. Everybody has spikes. It's probably enough at some point in time to garner some kind of followership. I think there is an ongoing need to where people are this this almost this like continual calculus or loop running in people's head that is is your is following you still worth it? And so there is a sustainability idea here that wasn't explored too much, but I think that's probably the spike needs to be growing or it needs to be consistent or something like that. Yeah, it just people can be spiking so many different ways. And I think there's maybe a breakdown in vocabulary here because leadership to describe Steve Jobs or Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett or anybody else that we, any other name that we throw out there that people would generally agree is a strong leader, it doesn't really, it just feels lazy to say, it's, ah, what a wonderful leader. You know, it's like it's shorthand to describe kind of like what you said. It's like Warren Buffett can create phenomenal returns. And Charlie Munger is, he's developed worldly wisdom based off of his study and, and learning and education. And Steve Jobs is a product visionary. And it feels like leadership is a catch-all term for all of those different spikes. And Well, the catch-all term here is that they had a ton of followers. There are people in history who were smarter than Steve Jobs, who were smarter than Warren Buffett, like who had spikes even greater than that didn't mm-hmm. have the followership that they had. And so that would be the litmus test here is how fanatical and broad and got it. That's right. It goes uh, back to the raving your followership fan thing. is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that I'll read a quote from the book. Right. We follow a leader because he or she is deep in something and knows what that something is. Their knowledge of it and the evidence of that knowledge gives us both certainty in the present and confidence in the future. So they brought up Martin Luther King Jr. So they said, when we look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's not the oratory, even though that's really great. It's not the self-sacrifice, even though that's inspirational, not the uh, ideology of nonviolence, even though that's uplifting or even his like super persistence in solving these core problems, humbling though that is, they say the end to which all these things are deployed is Martin Luther King Jr. was a crucible maker that he brought issues to a head deliberately and relentlessly. And so that's what they're talking about here is the brilliance of not letting go and of creating intensity and focus and concentration around the problem. So that his spike is distilled down into that one thing that requires a lot of skills, that requires several skills that were listed beforehand to bring to bear. But that it wasn't enough to be inspiring or to have a good moral code. It had to come from the sense of, at this point in time, there was this need to hold on to create focus and concentration around core issues. It makes me think about, and I think we've talked about this in the past, that leadership is very situational. And like, I, I just wonder, especially for those great people in history, do we only realize their greatness as a leader because of the their distilled spikiness and all that other stuff in retrospect? Like, or is it possible in the moment to identify great leaders? I don't know. Oh, I think it's possible in the moment. There are things that immediately I, attract us to I, this group of I people. I think it may I, only be possible in the moment. I think 
because the measure is followers, it's not like something that happens retroactively. It's not like the example of Jackson Pollock dying as a broke artist and then a decade later being praised as a forward-thinking trailblazer. In the moment, because you're having an impact, because you're creating followers, I think you can't actually... It's not just something that will happen after the fact. You will very much see it in like the present of that person. I think that's good. That's a good reminder for leaders, I guess people who self-identify as leaders, and, and to remember that this is really... It's less about the vision that you have, and it's less about the spike that you have, and more about how that connects with each person that follows you or people that you want to follow you. It's really about how you show up to other people that I think makes or break breaks w- what it means to be a leader. Yeah. And look at Warren Buffett. One of those things might be his ability to teach others how to hone this like super rare and exceptional skill that he's developed. And so that creates a whole different kind of following from a whole different kind of group of people. And that's pretty cool. And he's really leaning into his spikes here and he's leveled up as a public speaker and things like that over the years. He's a little bit more interested in the limelight than Charlie Munger. But at the end of the day, these are just a series of behaviors that are exhibited around, you know, this heavy spike. Yeah, I I do think there's, and, and tell me if I'm veering us off course here, but there is absolutely something in the moment that can be focused on as a leader, but there's also, maybe it's more, you know, legacy as a leader, because oftentimes think about a president. They do great things in the moment when they're in office. And then as soon as they leave, even before they leave, probably they start to think about what is their lasting legacy. And then there's an accounting that happens from the public, from the media in terms of let's evaluate their contributions over time and then figure out, okay, now that we take a step back and we look at it as a complete body of work, what do we say? Was this a great president or not? Uh, that that happens, and so I guess maybe I'm trying to reconcile those things. But maybe it is a it's legacy, not leadership. At that point, maybe that's how I reconcile it. There's this book that I read that I really that really impacted me early on and shaped where I took my career. And it was written by David Ogilvy, who would create what is now known as the Ogilvy you know, Advertising Agency. And he wrote a book at, sometime in the late '60s, I think. Uh, called Ogilvy on advertising. And he goes into, you know, the explanation of leadership to some extent, but there's a quote in it, which I always think about. And it's the way that he presents impact. And the quote is, when Eskenes spoke, they said, how well he speaks. But when Demosthenes spoke, they said, let us march against Philip. And to me, that sort of distills being a leader versus having a quality of leadership. Now, maybe being well-spoken is a quality of leadership. And even though when Eskini spoke, everyone said how well he speaks, it didn't cause people to to follow him and march against Philip. But when Demosthenes spoke, you know, people went for it. I think you hit it on the head with that quote. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's nothing wrong with just being a great speaker and honing that craft for the craft's sake. Go for it. If we're talking about wanting to develop and grow as a leader, or if you're in that position, how to make the most of it, Igor, I think what you just articulated is a distillation, like the fundamental essence of what this chapter is about. When I read that, I was like, I want to be Demosthenes. I want to learn how to be Demosthenes. And I actually don't care to be who's... And I think some people want to be Eskenes. They want to be praised for their craft or or whatever. But I, I knew for me, no interest in that. I want to affect people's behavior. I want to inspire people to to do bigger, greater things. 
And then maybe that's what drives some people to you know, want to be leaders. Quote, I'll put it in the show notes. I probably, if I had to guess, I would say the leaders, or I'm sorry, the authors in, the, in this book don't touch on this, but it does bring up for me, leadership is inherently neutral. It's morally neutral, I think, because in that case, I don't know in the context of what Demosthenes or whatever was trying to motivate people to go to maybe resist some sort of oppression or some sort of enemy, or, but there are great leaders who have clearly objectively been deemed as evil human beings because they're motivating people to do terrible things. Oh, effective at building a following, nurturing yeah. that following, and then unleashing them in a, in a malicious way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with malicious intent. In fact, intent, that's probably yeah. Yeah. more common. I, don't, I haven't done a survey. I've never asked that question, but I would say it's probably much easier, an easier path, a, a path of least resistance to to go down the malicious route than it is the the noble route. Now, this is interesting, though, because I want to push on this. I have no idea. I've never thought about this before. You said leadership is inherently, like, on the surface, amoral. Is that the right word? Amoral? Yeah, I said neutral. Like, I just neutral? wanted to say it's neutral. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But in my mind, if you are entering in the realm of leadership, and therefore you have followers, based on the definition that we're talking here, mm-hmm. You have a responsibility to those people. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, that's a weird thing to wrap my head around here. Like, how do we make sense of that? Where like that responsibility is one of, is a critical responsibility. What, how do, how do we merge those two ideas together? I guess in my mind, because you're going exactly where I was, I was hoping we would go because I, I think in many cases, we don't realize that we are leaders. Because it's obvious, like a Steve Jobs is a leader, but you can lead at any scale. If you have one follower, technically you're a leader. And and yes, because you have a follower, you have a responsibility. And and I would I would go a step further and say you have a moral responsibility to do right by your followers. And I I don't know where that fits into leadership overall. Right, I, the best that I can come up with is that's moral leadership. And it and that sort of conversation doesn't typically happen when it comes to the professional world. It's like we, we don't often talk about what's morally right and wrong. We tend to talk about what's fair, you know, what's the fair thing to do, what's the legal thing to do within policies and regulations set forth by the government. But I think there's something interesting there because I don't know, is I, I would venture to say maybe Martin Luther King Jr. would be deemed a moral leader, but probably not Steve Jobs just given some of the... I, I don't think it's morality. I, I think when you become a leader by inspiring or acquiring a follower, you enter into a social contract with those people. A social contract is, is created. And there's many points in history where people fail to realize that or ignored that social contract and were lost their followers, dethroned. And it had nothing to do with the specific like mores or morals of of that leader or that group even, but it had everything to do with, are you a leader for your sake or you're the lead for the sake of the group? That's the social contract question that's being asked and answered. And I don't think that has a particular morality to it. It just, that's just the system. Yeah. And, and maybe my take is we should. I, I think maybe that's what I'm saying is like, we should all strive for being injecting some morality into our leadership and maybe that that would help better the world a bit maybe that's all i'm all i'm thinking of it's like very progressive thinking charles 
I know, sue me. Like the next evolution, the evolution of, of the moral leader. I think that's what I want. It's, I think that's well, what we all Well, they talk about want. this in the chapter too, mm-hmm. right? Like as much as we follow the spikes, they can antagonize us. No leader is perfect. And the best of them have learned how to work around their imperfections. But like leaders don't have all the abilities we'd like them to have. That's a universal truth. If we're going to apply one attribute to all humans, <laughs> leaders included, who are a subset is don't have all of the abilities or attributes we'd like them to have. So they say in the truth is that following is in part an act of forgiveness, which I thought was really poignant. It's to give our attention and efforts to someone despite what we can see of their flaws. Oh, yeah. And that goes into a person who might be a great leader for me might not be a great leader for you. And a person who might be a great leader for one team or team of teams or company may not be a great leader for another. We've seen this play out like that's objectively true. And so I think that kind of supports the arguments in the book and and what we're talking about. And they say leaders are not necessarily a force for good in the world. They're simply people with followers. They're not saints. And sometimes things go sideways. So they they say what you say, Charles, the truth is leaders are not good or bad. They're just people who figured out how to be their most defined selves in the world. So that's interesting. Charles, and you're taking the position that like, hey, yeah, like that's true, but that's not good enough. We should be better. I think so. I don't want to say everyone else should. I guess I will just say I strive to something more than that. And and I fail. Like I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not asking that we all be perfect because I just, I don't even know how to make sense of that. That quote that you said around forgiving the people that we're following, that's, I'm going to need to chew on that a bit. But yeah, I, I think otherwise, it's like, how, how else will things improve? I Yeah, I think I think we should all aspire to that. Aspiring to be a leader who is morally neutral, it's, huh, that's not as inspiring as it could be. Speaking of quote quotes from Martin Luther King, King Jr., have you all heard this one? The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yeah, they actually say that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that bending... I don't believe it bends on its own. I think it's a result of each individual person in a position of leadership, of which it's that's every single person in the world. By definition of if you have a follower, there's everybody can claim that they have a follower. It's and I think it is everybody's responsibility to to bend that moral arc over a long period of time. You know? Okay, I think I'll stop my rant. We can move on. Would you say your kids are your followers, Charles? Yes, but not by choice. They had no. They have no choice mm. in the matter. Yeah. And but in that day, case, one day they will. One day they will. And I hope that all the, all of my attempts leading up until that point, they will choose to continue to follow me when they have a choice. Yeah, and but you still have a responsibility to them because they don't have a choice. In, in, increased, right? Because it is not of their own free will. That's right. That's so right. The responsibilities are much much higher. The stakes are much much higher. Yeah. Yeah. They tell me sometimes, not all the time. Daddy, you're the best daddy in the world. And I'm like, thank you. And then in other times I tell them, I know that you didn't have a choice to be my child and to be brought into the world this time. And that's why I I try and I work very hard as I can to be a better daddy because I owe that to you because you had no say in the matter. It's yeah. You don't say, hey, that's absurd. You haven't met every other father in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you have no data to you back this up. You have no data up. to back this up. Children. No, God, I do not. <laughs> so they, when they break down, they had another interesting kind of tangent. If leadership is about execution and communication, then King George, who was revered for leadership of his nation during the Second World War, but couldn't really speak in public. That's an, uh, the counterexample. 
they talk about Steve Jobs buying a new car every six months to avoid registering it. That's not exactly ethical behavior, but so he could park in handicapped spots, right? George Patton physically assaulted soldiers with PTSD. John F. Kennedy had some skeletons in his closet, obviously. Those are all things that they bring up as sort of these counterpoints that it's not some list of check boxes that you get a zero to 10 score on and then you add them up. And if you get a 70 or higher, you're a leader. It really does come down to these spikes. And I think it's maybe there's a subtext argument here that we've touched on, which is it's a little bit dangerous to attach moral morality, moral goodness to the act of leadership. But there is certainly a, a core responsibility you have as someone leading people following you, whether they have a choice or not. The King George example is interesting, too, because Demosthenes also had a speech impediment, the one who made people march against Philip. So maybe the correlation is maybe having some sort of difficulty that you're trying to resolve might be helpful. There you go, Igor. There's hope for you yet, then. One day I'll get it resolved. <laughs> for, for now, our listeners have to deal with it. So it's definitely a unique way to look at this, right? If the definition of a leader is someone who has followers and followers tend to gravitate towards spikes, then you should be really careful as a leader around what spikes you're demonstrating. And you should definitely understand that that's what is getting you so much traction in the leadership space. And I think there are definitely skills and behaviors to nitpick and break down, but it all follows, it all comes back to people are following an expression of the spikes that you have as a leader. Now that we've talked, batted it back and forth for a while, does, this is not how I typically think about the subject. Does this still resonate with y'all? It does. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what my definition of leadership was before this. If you were to pin me down and say, hey, how do you define leadership? I don't know what I would have said. Right? It, it's no longer an experiment we can run. I've I, said it's a series of behaviors yeah, that can yeah. be, and behaviors can be learned and developed and expertise built around them. Yeah. And so anybody can demonstrate leadership behaviors and get better at it. So I, I distilled it down to a, a core list of actions and behaviors. Yeah. And I guess I, I can't answer it because I've said this before to people that the role of the leader is to have a vision and to create enduring, motivating purpose, like for amongst their their team to like move people towards whatever that vision is that they have. But yeah, this one's making me think a lot. Thinking a lot about finite and infinite games. I'm sure we've talked about this before. Maybe yeah, not we've on touched the on it. Yeah, we haven't gotten deep on it though. We probably should. Yeah, that would be really fun, right? Because I think leadership takes a different form when you think about whether you're playing a finite or an infinite game. And I think when you take the infinite view, maybe that's one that that piece I was talking about earlier around legacy really comes into play, into focus, and becomes more of a a focus as a leader. But yeah, we'll save that for another conversation. I think that'd be fun. All right, y'all. Well, it was great talking to you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the wrap up because this, yeah, if we were to end here, then I think it just would end awkwardly. So I'm looking forward to the recap of the series. That's been yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think we need to bring it all home next time. Yep. So there you go. Leadership is a thing. Turns out it's not. And turns out we follow spikes as humans. So food for thought. Thanks, guys. Thanks, y'all. All right, y'all. Have a good one. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com. 